electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. On today's episode, the House narrowly passing a bill to raise the debt ceiling. But it's not over yet. The question is, are you going to ever be able to get a clean debt bill without having bipartisanship? The top regulator in Britain has blocked Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. But Activision's CEO, Bobby Kotick, plans to appeal. It was just a flawed ruling in every respect. What it demonstrated to us is that these regulators, they don't really understand our business. Those stories plus First Republic trading halted 16 times yesterday. And Elizabeth Holmes is due in prison, but not yet. How long has she got? 11 years. Ay-ay-ay-ay. 11 hours. It's Thursday, April 27th, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. The yeas are 217, the nays are 215, the bill is passed. Without objection, a motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The House of Representatives passing a Republican bill to raise the debt limit and slash government funding. The final vote tally, 217 to 215. Four Republicans joined Democrats in voting against the legislation. The bill passed after some several uh, last-minute revisions, uh, I should say, uh, rescued tax credits for ethanol and biofuel, winning over a block of Republicans from Iowa who had threatened to sink the bill. The bill is considered a dead-on-arrival bill, if you will, um, to the Democratic-controlled Senate, but seen as at least an opening bid, perhaps, in the negotiations between Speaker McCarthy and President Biden over the debt, and debt limit and federal uh, funding. When you hold a vote and you win with exactly the number, 217, 215, yep. that's, for years, Speaker Pelosi was lauded for knowing exactly what the outcome was going to be. Very narrow wins on a lot of big legislation and lauded for. We'll see whether the same thing happens here. Here it's like, oh, you barely did it. You know. So there, there will be probably a different take on how it happened. And, and do, you, do you recognize the name of any of the four? Matt Gates. No, yeah. Yeah, Matt Gates, Andy Biggs, who was you know, a thorn in the side during the 15 yeah. rounds of, uh, of voting. This only took one. Maybe that was it for McCarthy. Maybe once he got past that, it was all, all downhill west. Well, I think him. they realize that this is a pretty important time for the caucus to stick together. I've got, I'm very cynical, <clears throat> very cynical about it, as, as I was saying just now. I, I'm hopeful. I don't think Biden, President Biden, has any reason to come to the table. And even if I don't, like in 2022, I don't think Democrats ran on a great record. Why did they win? Trump and abortion. And if they don't change that in the next one, Biden's he's got like a free reign to, to just blow off this deal. And I saw it yesterday. Um, 
Chris Van Hollen, the senator, said, and it's pretty funny because he said, this bill is, is, they're trying to defund law enforcement. They're trying to cut border security. So the Democrats suddenly, the, the same thing that they get criticized for, they're pointing at are in this bill because there are some spending cuts in the bill. So now, uh, and he said, there's no reason to do anything. We won't do anything but a clean debt limit. And then from, from President Biden, it's ultra MAGA, wacky initiatives, which aren't, you know, the welfare stuff and, and working for the, these aren't totally wacky initiatives, but that's what we're going to hear. A lot of gaslighting. Uh, it's also, look, the question comes down to the debt ceiling, trying to separate it from the debt ceiling, having discussion about it or not. And look, each side has its own take on when this needs to happen. I realize why parties that don't control things try and hold this up because it's their only leverage. Well, it's just, as we have found out in the last few days, Speaker Pelosi negotiated with the Trump administration on, on supposedly these clean raises or negotiations going on the entire time. And, and the same type of leverage was being exerted. We, you know, people that read that there was no negotiations, they read it, they don't remember, obviously, but that there's always, what do you think that they would accept, the, the right and left of, of the, uh, the Republicans in the House? How can you get them to accept something? And what, what can you take out and what can you leave in that's enough for these guys. I, well, I, I don't know, because look, part of what he did it was well, again, it's a wish list. There, there's it, no way you're getting all right. this stuff. There's not. But part of what he was able to do is say we need to be united so that we can go yeah. and, and right. argue with this. The, the question is, are you going to ever be able to get a clean debt bill with without having bipartisanship? And if he agrees to bipartisanship on things, what does that mean for some what, of the what if President Biden insists on no negotiations and, and a clean bill? And I don't know the, the Republicans already said, We've, we will raise the yeah. debt limit. So then if, if the worst were to happen, and some people like Jed Gregg are really worried this time right. that the worst could happen. I still don't think, even with these abysmal numbers, people don't want Joe Biden to run again. His, his economic, you know, he's, he's underwater on how he's doing it. I still don't think he cares because if it's Trump... People are voting against Trump. Look, They're not I, voting for but, but Joe Biden. Judd Gregg's point is he would like to see leadership on both sides step up to this, that this is not something that can happen in both sides. It's all sides political. They don't to. care about leadership. There should be leadership. Uh, there should be some negotiation. Yeah. But if you, if you don't think Republicans have any leverage whatsoever, you're going to stick to your guns. They don't. He's going to stick to his guns. They don't. He's going to stick to his guns. Whose fault is the... There's also going to have to be leader, strong leadership that basically tells elements of each side of the party that they're not going to do it, that you're, you're going to do this. This is how we get things hope done. So. Shares of meta platforms uh, are sharply higher. Did you read some of the details? They're spending so much money still on this crazy stuff. And it's working. Losing so much. It's not I working. Mean, it's not working, but I'm saying well, it's they, working. They, they made, they, they, they're doing a little better. They made a couple hundred million. I don't know. But, the uh, stock's up 10% just this morning. Yeah, it was lost two-thirds of its value last year. You know, life is relative. It's up 70% this year. Correct. All right. It's like a NASDAQ, like a little allegory of the NASDAQ. Sharply higher earnings revenue. Daily active users also beat uh, analyst estimates. And average revenue per user jumped to $9.62. A sense beating estimates by 32 cents. I mean, anybody that tries to cover the stock has just been whipsawed. You know, you don't sell it at the top. You say don't don't All buy I'm it at is the bottom. Everybody thought this was a no. It's really was a disaster of a. Of a it kind of did you look at how much lower the, actually the results are from from a year ago? They're above expectations, but way yes, below. Yes, but on a relative basis to right. what people thought. Like everything. 
We are watching shares of First Republic this morning, actually up by about 3.5% or 20 cents. The struggling regional bank fell nearly 30% in yesterday's session after falling 50% in the session the day before. It was halted 16 times at the NYSE yesterday because volatility thresholds were triggered. That stock is now down around 60% for the week to date. If you're looking at the year to date, you can see it's down 96%. Market cap is now around a billion dollars. That's about one twentieth of its valuation before the banking turmoil began back in March. The FDIC has been giving the bank time to try and reach a private deal to shore up its finances, but now U.S. bank regulators are reportedly considering a downgrade of their private assessments of the bank. That could curb First Republic's access to the Fed's lending facilities, meaning they couldn't go up to the window anymore, including that discount window and an emergency facility that was launched last month. A lot of questions around this. And, and by the way, guys, the precedent that was set with Silicon Valley Bank, with Signature Bank, probably has some of the private money waiting around to see what happens because they got much better deals in that situation where things were carved off, parts of the bank that people didn't want were carved off, and promises were made about losses, how there would be some insurance against some of the losses that were made, too. So yeah. everybody now waiting by, because of those precedents that were set to see what happens you with that. You said it all in the first sentence. It's up 3.5%. 20, 20 cents. cents. Yep. That is, would you keep your money there right now? I think a, a lot of people decide are saying no. I, mean, I think First Republic is what happened in the market yesterday. The durable right. goods, remember, nothing really happened yeah. to, to the 10-year. To the no, this, this caused some concern. And look, by the way, anybody who's got $250,000, up to $250,000 is insured. If it's you and your spouse, it's up to $500,000 that is insured. What happened was Monday, we got a bigger right. glimpse into what was going on behind the scenes, and the bank's deposits dropped quite a bit more than had been expected. As of March 31st, they had $103 billion in deposits. That was below what the street was expecting. And as of that date, I think about 50%, about $50 billion, is above insured levels, above right. the two hundred and fifty thousand. Except that limit. Janet Yellen has said they effectively are insured, so we have this sort of unique. She said both. She said they are and they aren't, depending on when she's speaking right. and who she's speaking. I think the, the, the working assumption. Congress, right. she said we don't have the. I think the working assumption that. is they're insured at the moment. That's not. So too. Then why are people running for the exits as fast as they can get there? Because it's not an. Absolute... And when you ask me, I didn't. I don't know. Would you, if you had, you know, in, in let's say. 10, 15 years from now, if you had over $250,000, you know, saved up, would you? I'm not sure that's where I'd keep the money right now. Exactly. Yeah. So you don't believe the implicit. Uh, the, the thing that's I just wouldn't want to mess with. I wouldn't want to even find out. That's what out. I mean. It's like. And that's what happens that's in what any happens. types of bank concerns whenever right. there's questions about this. This comes despite the fact that 11 U.S. banks were kind of corralled together and put in another $30 billion in deposits. Um, a very short time ago, right. it seemed like. And we were trying to understand whether those are fully insured as well. I'm under the impression they are, but... The Times is saying well, today well, that they're... We've got to take a look at how that... It's part of the uninsured, and I, I don't understand. Works. Yeah, I don't understand either. Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes will not go to uh, prison this week, despite a judge's order that she begins serving her 11-year sentence today. On Tuesday, Holmes's attorneys appealed uh, that ruling to... Where else? An appeals court, hence the term appeal. Um, and under the court's rules, Holmes will remain free on bail for now. The government has 10 days to respond. Uh, Holmes was uh, convicted last year on four counts of defrauding investors in her failed blood testing company. Everything takes so long. I mean, what, you know, can't even decide on the appeal for 10 days, so 
Does she ever would re- you prefer- she ever go? Oh, I'm sure she goes. Mm. The question is, would you want to get it over with, or would you want to extend it as long as humanly possible? How long has she got? Eleven total? years. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to do either. I don't know what I'd do. Just two small kids. Right. Eleven hours is a long time if yeah. you actually don't have your freedom. I've been told. You've been told. I have. By a friend. To your friends. Yeah. Uh, well, you have to tell us that story later <laughs> about your friend. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard blocked by the UK. How Activision is taking the news and what it's planning to do next. It's Activision CEO Bobby Kotick. The ruling was disappointing. I think when you look at the facts, this was a transaction that was only going to enhance opportunities for competition for our players, for employees. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Microsoft's $69 billion proposed acquisition of gaming company Activision Blizzard is in jeopardy. About to be the largest technology transaction in history, the deal was blocked yesterday by the UK regulator, that country's Competition and Markets Authority, also known as the CMA. The CMA ruled that combining the massive infrastructure of Microsoft with the company behind Call of Duty and Candy Crush would harm competition in the nascent cloud gaming industry, which is essentially like streaming, but for games. The concern on the part of the regulator is that Microsoft could make Activision's games exclusive to the Xbox platform, cutting off other industry players. This ruling was a surprise, and it could impact whether the deal gets approved here in the US. Our own Federal Trade Commission is scrutinizing the deal for potential antitrust violations. But leaders from Microsoft and from Activision say this is far from over. Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick joined Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin on our TV broadcast today. Here's Becky. Joining us right now, first on Squawk Box to talk about all of this, is Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick. And Bobby, thank you for being here today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, we're going to talk about the numbers in in just a moment because the earnings were quite a bit better than the street was expecting. But the big news yesterday is what happened with the UK CMA, uh, the Competition and Markets Authority. 
That is what a lot of people assumed was kind of a, an entity that could not be overruled, could not be appealed to. There is an appeal process, but it's kind of convoluted. You're appealing to the same people who just said no to the deal. How does this work? Lay this out. Walk us through this. Because yesterday, Francis D'Souza was here. He's the CEO of Illumina. And he said, even though he's fighting regulators both here and over in Europe, he said he wouldn't take on the CMA on another deal they saw because they didn't think it was beatable or that you could appeal it. Yeah, well, first, thank you for having me. I always love being here. Um, just for the benefit of my employees who worked so hard, you know, we had uh, net bookings up 25%, our gap earnings up 70%. So we had a great quarter. Yeah. Business is, uh, is great. And um, the ruling was disappointing. I think when you look at the facts and you look at what the opportunities are for the UK, this was a transaction that was only going to enhance opportunities for competition for our players, for employees. And it was just a flawed ruling in every respect. And what it demonstrated to us is that these regulators, they don't really understand our business. And so they're making determinations and judgments that are not factually correct. And I think when you go to the tribunal, that's what you have to focus on, is whether or not it was irrational, it was irrational. Whether it was fact-based, it was not. And I think while Francis might not think that that's the place to appeal, it was such a... I should say for him, not for right. you, uh, right. he was referring to. I, I will, yeah. I will it's tell the you, only place to appeal, I, actually, like realistically. It, is, it was so flawed in every way that it actually is going to create a lessening of competition, which is the opposite of what their mission is. And so... We think the, the appeals tribunal will see that and rule in our favor. How does it work? And have there been people who have been successful at this in the past? Um, yeah, last year there was a, a firm, I think it's called FNZ, that appealed. They won. The CMA then had to go back and accept their remedies. And so, you know, there's a process. I think we didn't expect to have to use it, but I think that we'll be successful in that result. Microsoft has, has kind of alluded to this, too, that they are looking for ways to kind of massage the regulatory to make some other offerings to come up with it. And I, I think the CME had kind of hinted at the idea that maybe if Call of Duty was spun off, that that might be something that made them feel better about things. Is that a realistic expectation? Is that something that there is the possibility for? You know, I think what we found through this process is that re these regulators are now taking dogmatic positions that they don't serve the interest and the missions of what they're actually established to do. So you can't say, oh, we only are going to accept structural remedies, but not behavioral remedies. It makes no sense. That, and that isn't actually consistent with their historic missions. And so in this case, you know, divesting something like Call of Duty, it, it's, it's not practical. And they actually didn't really suggest that. Can we just talk about sort of the, the timing of this? So UBS put out a report yesterday saying that they had looked at how transactions that are under appeal work under this regime. The average period of time was five and a half months before you'd get to a conclusion. They, by the way, unfortunately seem to think that the conclusion would not be a positive one in your case and looked at a number of the other big deals that were effectively rejected. That timing takes you past the drop dead for your transaction with Microsoft, in which case I imagine there would have to be some kind of tolling agreement or something that Microsoft, or that you would have to agree to with Microsoft. Does Microsoft pay for that privilege? How does that work? What's going on behind the scenes around how this would happen? 
But I can't speak to what UBS had to say about the transaction or why they came to that conclusion. I think we and Microsoft and our barristers who are exceptionally experienced at judicial review think that there's a way to accelerate the process and that the conclusions were so flawed that we should be able to get an accelerated result. And that would have to happen in the next two months, basically, two and a half, three months, right? Well, I can't tell you what the timing would be yet because we haven't filed our appeals right. uh, briefing. But you know, we'll, we'll get a lot more uh, detail over the course of the next week and really better understand what the timing will be. We, we had someone on earlier this morning who was saying, no matter what, you've got two good options, um, whatever happens. Um, they said, basically, if the deal has to get extended, they would love to see something like what JetBlue is doing right now in terms of extending by basically saying the dividend can get paid out and it can be taken down as part of the deal price if the deal actually goes through. But they'd love to see something like that. Is that something that you all have discussed with Microsoft at this point? We haven't discussed it. You know, we didn't get to pay the dividend this year. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're very focused right now on making sure that we have good briefs, that we have the, the right process in place. And, you know, we still have some work to do with the FTC. We have a few other countries that still need to come in. But um, we expect the EU will come in before May 22nd. You just mentioned the FTC. There's some people who believe that the U.S. government and regulators in the U.S. have effectively outsourced the regulatory regime to Europe in this case, so they actually don't have to make some of these decisions. What do you think of that and just the policy broadly around how a global multinational company operates in this, in this environment, but also being a U.S.-based company? Well, I was surprised to learn that Lena Khan and the head of the CMA at a meeting a week and a half ago in Washington, you're, you know, legally you're not supposed to be discussing active litigation. I don't know that they did, but you know, I think that that's what you're seeing now is that uh, the CMA is being used as a tool by the FTC to be able to create these kinds of outcomes. Right. And it, this isn't the way that they're supposed to be uh, operating. Did this come as a huge shock to you because the CMA most recently when it talked about this, certainly seemed like they had softened their approach. I can, in our interactions with the CMA, we found them thoughtful and reasonable. You know, they came to a conclusion, they started out with a conclusion that would have protected Sony's monopoly market share, and then they ended up actually retracting that entirely. Um, they seemed like the cloud remedies that Microsoft uh, offered, which were very generous cloud remedies, were gonna result in uh, a favorable decision. So the way that they interacted with us through the process is very different than what the outcome was. If you end up having to remain independent, you collect three, $3 billion, what is the company- As a breakup fee. As a breakup fee from Microsoft. What do you do with that $3 billion? What does the company look like? By the way, there have been instances, we were actually talking about Sprint T-Mobile, uh, that you could say that Sprint, or, or you could say that Sprint on the back of, or rather T-Mobile, on the back of AT&T giving them a massive breakup fee actually led to the creation of this whole other giant. It took them, took them 10 years, but sort of a remarkable growth story. So what, what does Activision look like to you independently, and what do you do with that money? Look, I think our first focus is trying to right. get the deal done, which I think is in the interest of the industry, of competition. If, if it weren't to get done, uh, you know, we'll, 
by the end of the year, I think we'll be sitting on something like $18 billion of cash. And, you know, we've, I think if you look at our 30-year history, we have deployed capital for the benefit of our shareholders very well. And we'll continue to do that. Spread that around. But do you think, but but the other issue is different banks, in this this regulatory environment, could you take any of that $18 billion of cash and go actually make a big acquisition? Or do you think either in the the UK or whether it's the FTC or whomever, that that we're in an environment now where deal making is so challenged? I I think at some point you're going to start to see the regulators realize that we're seeing enormous amount of high paying jobs getting lost from tech companies. You're starting to see the foreign competitors. I look at Alibaba's breakup. Alibaba now has six separate companies, each of which is very well situated to compete effectively on the globe, in the global market, including in games. Um, I look at ByteDance, Tencent. These are the best companies in their industries in the world. You know, I think the estimates for ByteDance operating profits this year are $30 billion. They have exceptional talent, technology. For American companies to be able to effectively compete, we have to be able to have consolidation and have these kinds of mergers. Does that mean that if the Microsoft deal falls apart, you can't go it alone? You would want to partner up or to buy someone? Or what happens? Look, we're, we're a strong company. And I think uh, you know, whether the deal goes through or not, and we have every expectation of it going through, but if it does not, you know, we continue to operate as an independent company. It just gets more challenging when you're operating in a global market where in Japan you don't have free access to the consumer, where in China you have to enter into a joint venture to be able to operate. You know, fair competition should start in the, in the countries that we operate in, like the UK and the US. And I think that you know, we should be more focused on things like a reciprocal trade framework that will actually allow us to compete in countries like China and in Japan more effectively, not preventing competition. Let's ask about some of those numbers. Uh, Let's see. Activision segment alone, revenue was up 28 percent. Blizzard segment revenue up 62 percent year over year in the first quarter, both those numbers. What's going on? What's happening? Who are your strong players? And I mean, there was an expectation for a while that this was a COVID surge and then people went back to work and stopped playing games. That doesn't look like it. No, the results were strong. Our business is strong. I think, uh, you know, we remain focused on the franchises that have the greatest opportunities. It's one of the things that we've done successfully for a long time. So, you know, business continues to be, uh, to be strong. And I think uh, you, you've had dynamic shifts in some parts of the marketplace, but overall, I think biz- our business will continue to grow. Golf game is still bad. It's terrible. That's a good sign. I have one, one sort of last regulatory question because I think it matters to the technologies. It matters to all of business, which is there's a view that this administration in the United States is more ch- very challenging against deal making and transactions and the like. And that somehow there's a lot of folks who think you get to 2024, if that administration were to change, that somehow the floodgates would open and the world would, would be a different place. But at the same time, you start to look at some of the Republicans, whether President Trump becomes the president again, or if DeSantis or, or, or the, the, the populist sort of Repub- Republicans were to become the president or take the administration, it's not clear that things would open up. Disney's a one-off. They'd be back. They'd be back. They'd be the, less. The question is whether it would open up and be different. It would be. What, what does Bobby <laughs> think about that? 
Well, um, you know, I think uh, when Careful. You, well, here's what I was to say. There are people in this administration, like Gina Raimondo, who are advancing the agenda of American business and doing it very, very effectively. But I would say they, you know, she is the exception. And I think that we see these regulators like Lena Khan, who, you know, ideology shouldn't play a role in the functioning of the FTC. And we're missing the opportunities, you know, when we're protecting foreign companies uh, who have free access and open access to our markets and we're handcuffing American companies, that isn't going to serve the interest of America. Bobby, I want to thank you for being with us today. Bobby Kotick. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. That does it for this episode of Squawk Pod. Thank you so much for listening today and every day. What you hear on Squawk Pod is only part of what we do at CNBC. For three hours of what you just heard, check out Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin on our TV broadcast, Squawk Box, weekday mornings on CNBC, starting at 6 a.m. Eastern. If you like what we do here on the podcast, hit that follow, share, or rate button. Let us know what you think. Our work would not be possible without your support. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.